0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence, a real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark
1: and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. Very much excited today because we have an incredible, incredible interview coming up um, for you to really engage with. Um, as with the last couple episodes, I have with me Rick Morton. Rick, can you say hi real quick? Hey, everybody. Good to be here again. And the reason why we're not going to have a little bit before the show is because I know after the interview, we're going to have a long conversation about this because it's really a lot of what Lifeline is doing with birth mothers, um, how we can how we can love them really well. And so I want you to hear uh, from Adrian and not give a whole lot of of intro to it because you're going to hear from her, hear from her, her story, hear from her, uh, how God has used her in amazing ways, um, through story. And that's what we talked about at the beginning of this season, that story is, is really powerful on how God speak to us, how we are formed, how we are shaped, um, and how we can use that, uh, for the kingdom. So without more from us, uh, I'm just going to let you listen to this interview with Adrian and on the backside of it, we are going to, uh, have a, have a conversation about really how we can all, learn from Adrian and move forward together. Well, Adrian, it is so good to have you here with us on the Think Orphan podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me today. It's a privilege to be here.
1: So, Adrian, I know that we'll get into your story in a minute here, but I just want to start off our uh, this this interview just by hearing from you, you know, why you do what you do and really kind of what gets you up in the morning every day.
2: Well, first, uh, definitely a strong cup of coffee. That is the first thing (laughs) I I grab when I wake up. But, you know, God has called me to be a mom of... four boys at home right now, one daughter's in college, but I chose to homeschool and I get up each morning to have an opportunity to have an impact on their lives each and every day and help them discover their purpose in Christ and help them to find their interests and passions and learn alongside with them. So, you know, that is what's been getting me up for gosh, over 10 years now. Um, and you know, I have another one going off to college next year. So as the numbers dwindle, it gets a little, um, you know, more bittersweet,
1: but absolutely. Yep. We're getting ready to send our first off to college in about a year and a half. So, you know, trying to, Yes. Trying to take uh, advantage of that time with her and, you know, so, but it, you're right, it is a kind of that bittersweet feeling that part of it's like, well, it'll be less driving <laughs> around and doing less activities, but at the same time, we'll miss all of them, I know. Um sure. So a lot of our audience, a uh, few of the audience out there may know who you are and uh, but I, I, I would venture to guess that most of our audience doesn't know who you are. So I'd love to just really hear your story and you know I'm learning some of it a lot of it uh, for the first time today too. So I'm very excited to get to know you a little bit and I know our audiences as well. So um, can you just share with us your story and uh, a lot of why we're, why we're having this conversation today?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, you know, first and foremost, I, you know, I, I see myself as a follower of Christ and second to that, a wife of uh, my high school sweetheart who I've been married to for 21 years. Um, thirdly, I get to be a mom of five amazing children and fourth, I get to be an adoption advocate. And right now I'm volunteering with, um, Hope's Promise. It's the same agency I made an adoption plan with for my um, birth daughter and also the same agency I adopted my son through. So it's a privilege to work with them. I'm their adoption and pregnancy blog editor and I'm also a writer. I'm working on my very first memoir and that is um, I mean that is another reason I get up each morning. I want to share my story of how I learned to rest in God's grace and overcome feelings of shame and guilt through adoption, um, through my own experience and, and learning to make peace with the difficult choices I had to make.
1: Yeah. And I know that, uh, you know, you're, you talked about it, you married your high school sweetheart, but I know it, it didn't, it didn't necessarily start out exactly how you planned. Um, as far as first pregnancy you had and, and really, uh, things that went from there. Can you just, you know, speak to that and, and how that has really informed a lot of what you're talking about as far as adoption advocacy today?
2: Absolutely. I'll start with my first pregnancy and that, um, you know, I discovered I was, uh, pregnant uh, my junior year of college And that um, was with my high school sweetheart. So we were dating long distance at the time. And it was um, definitely unexpected. I was um, an RA at a Christian college. I was definitely on the course to just um, being just on a pedestal, I would just say as, as a believer, I put myself up there. I was an example to others. I was a newspaper editor, magazine editor at a, at the college. And I, you know, I found myself just pregnant and, and terrified and alone. And I was desperately afraid to lose my position or even be discovered that I wasn't the perfect Christian that I thought others saw me as. Um, So you know at first when I found out I was pregnant I I didn't know what I was gonna do I didn't have any plan I happened to um, faint one afternoon at chapel and I was brought to the school nurse and in talk and she was the first person I even had mentioned that I was pregnant to next to my boyfriend Um, but she for some reason guided me into uh, making an appointment to have an abortion. And, you know, in that moment, I was desperate, scared, alone, wasn't thinking clearly, um, definitely walking in fear instead of faith. And I went to the abortion clinic. And as I lay there, um, just before they were going to do their procedure, they did an ultrasound. And I happened to see this life. I mean, a little head, arms, legs moving, and it just woke me up, brought me out of this fog. I leapt off that table. I remember telling the doctor I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to choose life in that moment. Um, And when I left that abortion clinic and went back to my dorm, I still didn't have a plan, but I prayed. And I asked God just to show me what I was going to do. In doing so, I chose to hide my pregnancy for, oh gosh, over five months because I did not want to be found out. I knew if I was found out, I'd probably lose my position, lose respect, lose friends. And so I chose to hide it every single day um, be sick every day and just kept praying that God would guide me and show me what I was to do. So dur- during this time, I, I actually did call my parents, of course, and I called them at work, which I don't recommend anybody doing. Um, but I did it because I was, I was afraid of their reaction. Actually, they were very gracious and non-condemning, did not shame me, listened, um, but did, did mention the word adoption. And so it took months for me to consider that as a choice. I had always wanted to be a mom. I'd always dreamed of being a stay-at-home mom, and when I realized that at that time in my life, I could not give um, my daughter everything that I wanted to at the time, I decided to move forward with um, an adoption plan. I found an adoptive couple who were from California and met them maybe one time but uh, felt that they were gonna be excellent parents to my daughter, but it was very difficult on me. I did not wanna pursue much of a relationship with them. I was dealing with a lot of heartache and a lot of loss even before I had to make the final decision for her to be with somebody else besides me. So that's how we got to Hope's Promise. We worked with them and they worked with the adoptive parents to make a plan. And I will tell you, um, you know, that time in the hospital was incredibly painful, incredibly difficult. It was a precious time with her, and my boyfriend and I were there together with her for those 48 hours that we had. We just held her close, um, promised to always love her, and make sure that we told her that how, even though she couldn't understand at the time, but how much we loved her and chose the loving plan for her and wanted the best for her. So we ended up, I actually couldn't hand her to the adoptive parents. I handed her to my dad and asked my dad to make that final um, just release of her. And I know that was difficult on him. And somehow I walked out of that hospital without her. I will tell everybody that I felt God carried me out because I can't remember walking out of there, but I left without her and it was, it was a very difficult time after that, even though I knew in my heart that I had made the right choice and right decision, it didn't take away the loss and pain that immediately followed.
1: And I just wanted, before we move on, um, to the next part of your story, I just want to go back a little bit and something that surprised me hearing, and it may have surprised some of our audience members, but to hear that the school nurse (laughs) encouraged you to get an abortion. Was that something that surprised you and, and really what, what, you know, you said you were so confused and really just at a point of uncertainty at that time. Was that something that came as a surprise to you back then?
2: Absolutely. Even looking back on it now as a parent, I have a child who's going off to college. I am floored at that um, conversation that she had with me and not only encouraged me to have that abortion but made the phone call herself to make the appointment. And I you know I don't know why she chose that. I can't speculate as to why and but I can speculate as to how many other girls walked into that office and could have been faced with the same situation that I had been in.
1: Right. Do you think that came from the thing that you talked about, really, the, the idea of the implications of being pregnant at that school and the, the shame and the guilt and all of that? Do you think that that played into I mean, I know it's speculation, but I, I could imagine that that was part of the conversation.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We... Sometimes I will tell people that it can be difficult to be a Christian at a Christian college because we are held to such a high standard. And in doing that, I try to—we all try to be so perfect. And, we know, we follow the rules. No no smoking, drinking, gambling, you know, you name it. And to be faced with a decision or just a circumstance that you could be seen as less than— or unforgiven or lose friendships or lose respect that definitely i think played into it a lot of just feeling desperate in that situation for sure
1: and what what would you say like looking back 2020 hindsight what what did you need in that moment what did you need when you were from you know from the nurse from your parents from friends from whoever knew what did you need in that situation
2: Looking back in that situation, I needed someone to come alongside me and to tell me that I was loved, that I was valued, that I was worthy and that I was forgiven and that I could hold my head high, even with the showing others that I had made a mistake but that I was going to do the right decision. I think if I had known that and had more confidence in that, um, I think I would have held myself a little bit differently in that situation. But being pregnant at a Christian college, I don't think I'd ever seen another girl walk around who wasn't wasn't married and pregnant Mm -hmm. in that situation at that time.
1: Right. Right. And I think we'll come back to this because I, I think this is something that we will definitely get back to. But I, I want to I just wanted to address I, I, I didn't want to forget to come back to that because it was something that I really felt that uh, it just it just really stuck out at me. And then the, the other thing was, um, you know, in the abortion clinic, when you got up and you had that conviction that just hit you, what was the reaction of the doctor in the abortion clinic?
2: Definitely surprised. They warned me that I didn't have much time to change my mind. I was already about really close to 12 weeks at that point and told me that they would wait for my call to come back. And I looked the doctor in the eye and said, I will not be coming back. They were surprised. I also um, really felt when I walked in there, and the only way I can explain it is being under a fog, just... Just so afraid, so fearful. And when I saw that picture on the screen, and I will say, if I didn't see that picture and know really what I was getting into, without seeing her life on the screen, it may have been different. I didn't realize what that life looked like. And when the nurse had talked to me about having an abortion, she—I remember her words exactly. Were "It's just a tissue." at this mm. point. But when I saw that picture, that was not a tissue. That was a living being. And that woke me up and I jumped right off that table. Mm.
1: Okay. You know, we could, we could go on this could be a 12 part <laughs> episode. Right? You know, we even talked about this beforehand. I, I know that there's so many questions and I know that I have, and I imagine everyone out there has, but Good news is you're writing a book, so we can read. I know I read the first chapter of your memoir that you're starting, and, and I was like, "Where's the more? I want more," but I only <laughs> got one chapter, so that was very good from your standpoint and from from everyone else out there that we're going to be able to hear this whole story in written form here pretty soon. But uh, let's move on today because we okay. do definitely need to move on. But so so now you are you have given up uh, your child in your mind. You've handed him or handed her to your dad, who then gave the child to this new family and let's pick it up there.
2: Great. So after I, about a week after I had given up or made an adoption plan for my daughter, I picked myself off the ground, drove back to college and finished my degree in journalism. Um, and at that point that was a difficult year, but I, felt that God just wanted me to focus on the things that he had in store for me ahead. And part of that was planning a wedding to my boyfriend who became my husband just after graduation. So we were excited to start a family together. We took about three years to develop our careers and spend time together and then decided it was time to start a family. And the, The first time that we got pregnant, within eight weeks, I found out that I would be having a miscarriage, and that, I will tell you, was completely devastating. I I felt just after everything had been through about giving up a daughter and doing the right thing, I felt I was being punished by God. I blamed him. I was extremely angry. I stopped going to church for a short time and just felt just felt betrayed. And I had to walk through this time period of of really holding on to hope that he did have a plan for me and he would teach me that he was next to me during this time of another of grief again if I would just trust in him. And so that was a short, a short period. But during that time of of just reconciling with God and holding on to faith and hope that He would bring me a family in His time, I found out that I was um, pregnant again, and, and just three months later, with my first son. So I was blessed by that. It was a wonderful pregnancy. Um, we had two more sons shortly after that. So we had three in a row. I thought God had a great sense of humor for giving me boys. (laughs) I didn't know, Um, especially just, I always wondered if I'd have a girl, but, you know, God knew what he was doing and thought I'd be a great boy mom. So I embraced motherhood to the fullest. And because I had gone through the process of giving up a child you know, I realized what a gift it was to have a child and I wanted to spend as much time with them as possible. And this is part of the reason where during this time I decided to homeschool. I had no clue what homeschooling was or even what I was getting into. I think the only thing I knew about it was I wasn't going to wear denim skirts or (laughs) anything like that. But I, I knew that, that, that God had that in store for me. And so I picked that up and, and in that process, I also felt it was my call to use my story to help other girls along. And when I had these three small children, I would work with an agency, a local agency, to start mentoring unwed teens, um considering adoption, just walking them through the process and teaching them what it was like, what to expect, um, help them make a good choice for themselves. I spoke it. A couple schools and teen mops, and, but my most special thing was just working with girls one-on-one and just sitting down with them and really walking them along that process and not making it sweet, but telling them the reality of it and how it, you don't heal overnight, but it does take time and that it is a good and blessed decision to make. But in one of those sessions was how I met my birth mom. Of our next
1: adopted child. Hmm. Yeah, so let's let's just keep going with that. Like you, so, okay. so then you know we, we we'll come back to some of this, but yeah, sure. let's definitely go to the the adoption. Um, and then, then actually, if you can just from there, uh, well, let's let's just start with that, and then we'll we'll go from there.
2: Okay, okay. So w- the adoption, the the birth mom that I met, she was a family friend. Um, She had encountered an unexpected pregnancy. And I knew about her story a little bit. I knew about her a little bit. But I offered to share my adoption experience and mentor her through the process if she was willing. So I would meet with her on a couple occasions. We met over coffee, and I shared my story, as I usually did, and walked her through the adoption process, um, encouraged her where I could. And when she was about maybe five or six months pregnant, she surprised me and said she felt that my husband and I would be the perfect parents for her child. And she, over a nice cup of coffee, asked me if I would consider adopting. I immediately said yes. And then I went home to ask my husband if that was okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, he had a feeling that uh, that was going to happen, that we were going to have our fourth and it wasn't going to be traditional. And we were thrilled. We, I, we went through Hope's Promise again for our designated adoption, which was completely surreal because we sat in the exact same office that him and I had been in to make an adoption plan for our daughter Uh, so many years ago, about 11 years prior than that. And so both of us, or all of us, went through Hope's Promise and worked on an adoption plan. We felt that an open adoption would be the best decision. And I really felt God's peace throughout the process. Um, She's one of the bravest women I know. And she felt from the get-go that adoption was always going to be the choice she had made. I mean, I had... I had waited till the very last minute to make that decision, but she knew right away that that's what God was calling her to do. So it was a pleasure working with her, and we held a sweet adoption and trustment ceremony at the hospital, and I remember the one thing she asked my husband and I to do, and that was to promise to teach her son about the love of Christ. And so we promised to her that we would do that. Um, we, we have from the very beginning. Now, on the adoption side of things, I, I just assumed I would, be, I would know automatically how to feel and what to do as an adoptive mom because I had made an adoption plan. Um, but let me tell you, it was a completely different experience than what I thought. And, and I had some difficult days. The love... I thought would come so naturally it didn't come right away mm-hmm. that I had hoped for. I, I thought it would just, you know, be this love at first sight and I would know how to, what to do and he would fit right in. And, and even though he did, I still struggle because what had happened was a lot, I had a lot of these emotions come up mm-hmm. about, um, giving up my own daughter for adoption yeah. and somehow that created a wall. And I don't, mm-hmm. I can't exactly explain why it was there. I just prayed that God would give me the same love as I had for, as my other boys. And I would be the same, um, give him the same attention and share the same love of Jesus that I had with my other children. And it took time. It took time. Um, I didn't feel like I was living up to my own expectations. I didn't feel like I was living up to the birth mom's expectations. And I felt like a failure for years. Um, but God showed me that I didn't need to be a perfect mom, but that through my weakness, he was, he would make me strong and he really, really strengthened my heart. I mean, he grew my heart, which I did not expect, but so thankful that he did. And he is just a joy to have in our family. But going back a little bit, when we first brought him home from the hospital, We had them for about eight days before the parents of our birth daughter called us out of the blue Mm. and asked to meet us. My birth daughter had started asking questions and wanted to come visit us. And that was really one of the first times I had heard from them in years and years. And so while I had this newborn child, adopted child, that I was learning to To love, I was also dealing with the fact that I would be encountering my adopt or my daughter that I had given up, and seeing her for the first time in several years.
1: Yeah, that's that's an amazing part of the story too. So, and with that with that reconnection, and the one one thing that I wonder. And just, I don't know if you've, I'm assuming you've thought about this at some point, but as you're trying to bond with this new, this new little boy in your life, as you've already, you know, started raising three other boys. So it's not like you've never done it, um, but, but you hadn't done it in this context. And then did, did that make you think about, you know, obviously it was eight days later and I imagine with the eight days later also, it could have potentially exacerbated it. But did you think about you know, did my daughter's mom and dad have the same feeling? Was it really hard for them too? and what did I do? Did you have some regret and thoughts in that way at that time?
2: I did. I did. I I had never been in that situation before. I'd Mm -hmm. always, you know, I'd been on the other side of things where when I made an adoption plan, I just assumed, you know, they would know how to love her exactly the way I would have loved her. Right. And that was surprising for me on the other side, as an adoptive mom, not having that be automatic. Right. And I, I did wonder about that. I did not have a lot of contact with the birth, um, with the adoptive parents of my daughter for many years. and not on anything they did wrong, but because it was too painful for me to even address or talk about. And my healing period just took a lot longer. Right. But when I was in that role of being an adoptive mom, for sure, it did bring up a lot of those feelings of, of wonder of how did that bonding happen for them. Right.
1: And so, so how old was your birth daughter at this time when they, when they called you, when they contacted you out of the blue?
2: At that time, she was 11 years old.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. So they contacted you, and and so let's let's pick it up there. So what what happened since they after they contacted you?
2: After they contacted me, we arranged a visit for them to visit us in our home. And at the time, we were living in Oklahoma, and they graciously, all three of them, her parents. And um, her came out to visit us for a weekend. So here I am with this newborn baby with three young boys running around and a daughter who comes in and I am trying to make her feel welcome and wonder what she thinks of me, wonder if, if I... If I was going to disappoint her, if she would walk away thinking, oh goodness, I don't want to see her again. There were so many emotions there of trying to navigate that weekend. And I remember a moment that she looked at me and I knew what she was thinking. And it was this How could you adopt another when you had given me away? Mm. And that was a difficult question to ponder. And, but I knew that on my heart, I told her and what she, I knew what she needed to hear was that she would love beyond measure that I had made the most loving choice I could for her at the time of where I was in my life. And that no matter how many children I had or brought into the home would never replace her in my heart. Mm.
1: Hmm.
2: so we the weekend went great I was able to have a little tea with her and her adoptive mom and and share with her again just how much I loved her just reassured her of my love for her and when she left it was heartbreaking it was very hard it was emotionally wrenching for me um, I, I had to take some time to breathe and just know that that this was part of God's plan as much as it was painful and hurtful. I also knew that she was loved and well cared for and a happy little girl. And I was just privileged that she wanted to get to know my husband and I. Mm. So that that started the reconnection process, and then over the next several years, all the way through high school, she would periodically choose to come out, and as she got older, she would come out on her own to visit us. And it was an amazing experience, but I will say I I felt we, we had a lot of difficult conversations, and I didn't shy away from them because I knew that open discussion needed to happen. And there were a lot of questions she asked. And, and you know, with the whys, the why did you give me up? But you guys look fine now. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it was a different circumstance. You didn't see what we were like, you know, 20 or how many years earlier. And I just remember just having to be honest with her and open, very gentle, um, patient with tears and know they would come and accept them and not, but also at the same time, not be hard on myself, not, I felt that God did not want me to be filled with guilt and shame over that, but to help her walk through that process, um, that she needed to be at without me feeling like I had done something to wrong her, which in my heart of hearts, I knew that that was not something that God had called me to do was to carry that guilt and shame, but to really help her with where she was. Absolutely. Um, so we just, you know, it took us years. We just established that trust with her. And the most precious part of it all was just being able to connect with her brothers, um, her full siblings, you know, which is three full brothers and Mm -hmm. an adopted brother, which she, um, she just took under her wings because she understood what it was like to be adopted.
1: Wow. So that, you know, you, you've been able to, Not only reconnect on a one time deal, but you've actually been able to establish a relationship that, as you said, now she has, you know, another family, so to speak, that is, you know, that is blood um, that she's been able to establish a relationship with, which which is, you know, I imagine for you uh, is just pure joy. It, it, you know, obviously not without issues, but, but I'm mad. Is that, is that pretty accurate description or am I putting words in your mouth?
2: Oh no, that's completely accurate. You know, when I go back and think of where I was when I had made that adoption plan, I, I could not see the bigger picture. I, I didn't, I had no idea God would bring her, back into my life and establish that relationship. I I mean, it took 10 years for me even to be able to speak without weeping. And it was all on his timing. I mean, he had to wait. I had to wait for God to heal my heart. And I had to wait for God to put it on her heart to want that relationship. There was no pushing or forcing. It was natural, but it took time. And when that time came around, it was perfect. And like you said, not without challenges because that's life, right. but it was, it was in God's timing. And he, he knew it was time for me to connect with her cause that's what she needed. And I needed to connect with her as well. And that relationship has been sweet. She is a joy. She is um, a wonderful Christian adult, young woman. And we just are thrilled that she's part of our lives. I'm truly thankful for any moment with her because it's just, it's precious. But all that time ago, I would have never imagined that's where we'd be today.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, again, we could talk on and on about <laughs> the specifics of all this. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have all that time, but we have a little bit longer that I want to, I want to get into a couple of things with you sure. that goes to, you know, some of the things you alluded to. And I, I want to read a passage out of the book that, okay, I, of course, it's chapter one and there was, it was chock full of, of goodness, but this one. Um, and really tough, tough things, too, though. And, and this one part really kind of speaks to that. And I want to I ask a couple questions after it, but I want to read it right now. It says, the waves crashing onto the rocks reminded me, and just take a step back. This is when you had basically had found out you were pregnant and you mm-hmm. felt completely you know, lost, basically. If, if I'm, you know, <clears> again, <throat> don't want to put words in your mouth, but it yes. seemed like that was the case. Yes. And so this is, and you say this in, in that time. It says, the waves crashing onto the rocks reminded me of my own worst fears of an unplanned pregnancy. To be smothered over and over again by ruthless rumors and unforgiving talk, one wave might say, how could you? As it crashed over my head, another would say, I thought you were a Christian and yet another, no one will want you now. And still one more powerful than the rest. You are nothing but a whore as it toppled over me. Hmm. As you talked about, and I imagine even hearing that again, probably brought you back (laughs) to that time. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you talked about the overwhelming guilt and shame this, and, and unfortunately I imagine there are girls young women, women who are hearing this and are feeling that right now. And I want you to speak to them really. I mean, just speak to them right now. And how did you personally overcome that overwhelming sense of guilt and shame and replace it with hope and healing? And how can you encourage them in their in this time um, and encourage other people to be able to speak or even just to help others in that time?
2: Well, those are all really good questions. And and I know those feelings of being trapped in those emotions. And what they are is the enemy just speaking lies into our heart. And I really had to take time to pray, talk. I did a lot of talking to God. I journaled. But I really had to seek truth in scripture. When I, w- when I, when I would tell myself or hear the words, you're nothing, um, no one's going to want you. I would replace that with with scripture and truth, which is I'm loved, I am a child of God, I'm saved by grace, I am wanted, I'm cherished, I'm valued. And those are the things that I had to keep telling myself over and over because they were true. And, you know, I had to work through that. But another thing, if there are women that go through these, and are young girls who are listening, I want them to know that they are forgiven. They are cherished. They are valued. And we need to forgive ourselves and then rest in God's promise that he forgives us. And we don't have to live in guilt and shame. And part of living in freedom in Christ is letting that go. And when we have the courage to tell our stories, I mean, that's how God uses us to be a witness to others. There is no shame in our stories. No shame at all. And we need to use them and speak and not hide, but speak. Um, I think as women, a lot of us try to be perfect at everything, try to be the perfect mom, perfect student, um, whatever it is. But there's, you know, when when we try to be perfect, there is no room for a savior and he doesn't expect us to be perfect. But he will give us strength in those hard times and we can trust him to use our story or our circumstance for his glory. It doesn't always happen overnight. In fact, for me, it took years and years, but he will do it if we let him.
1: Absolutely. Now, what, what advice do you have for parents? So you've been a parent, um, you are a parent and you had parents when you called them that day. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that was probably one of the scariest phone calls you've ever made.
2: Yes. And I'm sure they weren't thrilled to get it at work either. Right.
1: (laughs) Right. So your first recommendation is, is don't answer the phone at work if your daughter calls at an unexpected (laughs) time, but what advice would you have for parents um, if they receive that call um, or conversation or whatever it may be? Um,
2: Yeah. You know what I've learned the most and I've really instilled in our family is that open dialogue we have to talk about these things. They cannot be swept under a rug. They can, they will not go away. We have to be open in our conversation with them. And in that dialogue, if if there was a parent who received a phone call that their daughter was pregnant or they were the father of a, of a pregnant teen, we need to point them to God's grace and do not shame them. Um, The silent treatment doesn't work, but We need to remind them that we will love them unconditionally, no matter what. And I think that's what we need to hear. That's what I needed to hear when I and my parents did do that for me. Um, They did not try to persuade me what to do, tell me what I was going to do, threaten me in any way. They did bring up adoption as an option, and they did help me find somebody to discuss those options with. And that is how I found Hope's Promise was you know, an agency my mom had found and she just gave me the number and, and I made the phone call, but they were there to support me, encourage me. And that's what we need from, from parents. And that's what I want to do as a parent, but to also tell our kiddos that, you know, every child is in the hands of God, right? He has a plan for everyone. It may not be the one or the plan that we think, but he does have a plan. And just to reassure them that God does have a plan
1: for their child. Yeah, absolutely. Now I want to shift to maybe a harder question. Okay. Um, It may not be, but you know, unfortunately, the church has is not does not have a great track record on how it's handled some of these issues and um, maybe has not been as grace filled as it could be in some of these um, mm-hmm. sometimes, which is probably goes to your response or to your your uh, that paragraph we read from your book. Mm-hmm. Those fears mm-hmm. come from that kind of legalistic side that says, you know. If you're not perfect, you know you. There's no mm-hmm. grace, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, right. I, I don't want to lead you too much, but but really, how can the church practically? And I, I want I want you know, kind of practically um, support and encourage young girls, um, and really the the fathers of these you know babies mm-hmm. as well when Absolutely. they experience unplanned pregnancies.
2: Well, we need to make churches the safe place mm-hmm. for unwed moms to come as they are. I mean, we we need to see, there, there should be more unmarried, pregnant women, young women in our churches. And they're out there, but they're not always coming to church. And if they're not, it's because we've put that stigma on them. Like you said, we need to um, point them to alternatives. But I think our church needs to, you know, it's, it's just not enough to preach on abortion as a sin or organize marches or go behind picket lines. I mean, all those things may be good, but they're not reaching the individual hearts of these young moms. There is just too much pressure out there and they need to know that they're loved and that they're saved by grace and that God doesn't see them as any less. They need mentoring. They need one-on-one mentoring. And I think if our churches would have some more of these programs in place, um, Uh, It could be anywhere from just inviting adoption agencies to speak or creating support groups for parents of teens or young adults with unplanned pregnancies. I think these kind of mentorship programs is what the church needs to embrace.
1: Yeah, you know, there, there's, there's, again, so much more we could talk to talk about today. And, and I, I want to, you know, maybe we'll have you back on for part two someday. Because um, I'm sure that that will be, you know, if, if you folks out there, if you want that part two, let me know. And let us know here at Think Orphan. We will, we'll make it happen if the demand is there, which I imagine it will be. And maybe, you know, you know what, when you get your book done, we'll get it out there. We'll read the whole thing and then be able to get you back on. How's that? We got a deal.
2: We got a deal. Okay. Thank you so all much right. for having me.
1: Well, before we go, you're not quite off the hook oh. yet because I have two <laughs> questions that we ask all our guests. And I know I'm sure the people out there are wanting to hear from you on these. But um, the first one is what have you read, watched, or listened to that has impacted how you love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence?
2: You know, it's a recent show and it's BBC Call the Midwife. Okay. I know that sounds funny. But you know, I love the story of these women who are midwives and nuns from the poorest community, and they come alongside these girls and tell their stories and support each of these women. Um, but the, the gist that I get from watching this is that every child, each child is precious and loved, no matter their economic status. So I, I have loved this show, I tell you. It's, it's been great. I'm waiting for season seven to come out.
1: Okay. Wow. Lots of seasons. I got to catch up on that. <laughs> I, now, as a, as a, as a dude, will I be able to watch <laughs> this show or is it kind of a, the time that, you know, I need to, only if I watch it with my wife type thing.
2: You know, I'm going to have to say my husband would not watch that by himself. So okay. I All have right. to drag him to the screen, but it is, it is great. It is, um, it's, it's wonderful dialogue. So.
1: Okay. So it will, it. it will help my empathy if I watch it, and it which I need help to work on. Empathy. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Then maybe I'll check it out. I'm just looking for movies to watch while I'm, I'm flying here in the next little bit. And I probably don't want to be caught watching that on the plane by myself. What do you you think?
2: might get eyed by somebody next to you. If you're watching, call the midwife on a plane. So. All
1: right. Okay. I will avoid downloading that one then. Okay. <laughs> so the last question here, um, what one person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence?
2: You know, the first person who comes to mind, who I could have mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, is my journalism professor from college, nice. uh, Dean Dean Nelson. He is my now mentor and friend. He walked alongside me in, during that time. No questions asked, no conditions, terms. Mm. He encouraged me. He was a picture of grace, and um, he even had me stay at his house um, at some point during college, just to take a couple days to heal and get prepared to go back on campus again. But, you know, just a couple years ago, uh, my husband and I visited his home in California and he sat down across the table from me and he said, you have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. You need to tell your story. And he just, he never stopped believing in me. And, and even today he, he'll read my chapters and help me along. So he's been just, the picture of grace.
1: Well, that's a a great place to stop for today, but, uh, this isn't the end of the story. It's not the end of your story. And, uh, this isn't the end of this, this, uh, interview either. Cause we're gonna, we're gonna do a part two, maybe season two. It's like call the okay. midwife as seven. I don't know if we'll go seven, but we'll go, <laughs> we'll go a couple more. Um, Probably. so thanks again, Adrian. And I, I so look forward to, to reading the rest of it. And, and I know that everyone out there is, is as well. So if, if you have any questions out there, you know, definitely send them in and I'll, I'll get them to Adrian. Maybe she'll be able to answer them for us the next time. So thanks again, Adrian.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, Adrian, thank you so much for your vulnerability, for your honesty, for just really sharing with us, um, just your amazing story. And I, I am, I know I'm the better for it. Uh, Rick, I know of talking before, uh, we started recording, just hearing, uh, how it impacted you and how it encouraged you and, uh, really kind of excited, uh, you know, got you excited about talking about it. So, you know, what, what got you so excited about, about hearing this interview?
0: Man, there were there were so many things in this interview that I, I felt like as I as I listened to the interview the first time to to prepare for today, Phil, um, I literally found myself um, like talking back to the computer going like, <laughs> yes. And and say because there's there's just so much truth in what in what Adrian you know, brings to the table. I, I think the first thing that struck me is just such a such a healthy pro-life ethic hmm. that that she puts forward. Um, her story is so uh, illustrative of, but um, but something I think that's a timely word for all of us to hear um, is that that being pro-life doesn't mean just being pro-birth. Mm-hmm. Um, it means it means regarding uh, the imago dei, the image of God, in every life in the equation, um, and that includes the birth mom. Right. And, yep. and so in many times, many times we've we've struggled and sometimes I think have even, you know, been been led to think less of birth moms that make decisions that are um, that are not life giving decisions. Um, and 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 the truth is that, you know, she's she's here talking about the reality of a very, very difficult decision, a very, a very, you know, life altering kind of decision and 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 bears for us. The story to understand how important it was for her to be ministered to. For, for her to know that the gospel was real, for her to know that the church community was supportive around and that her family was supportive around her. And and I know we have misgivings about that many times because it because it comes and, you know, and I've, I've had these conversations with people where they talk about, well, that means that means we're condoning, you know, some some sin or some, you know, uh, some sexual acting out that we don't you know, we don't in, we don't endorse. You know, sex outside of marriage, and so therefore we have to hold a standard, and 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 we cannot endorse that lifestyle. We cannot endorse that choice, and and love women well at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think something that we're committed to um, in in the core of our being as a ministry is is that that means loving all women equally well. Uh, it means loving women that come in that are abortion-minded, well, and and helping them to understand the gift of life that they that they have, no matter the circumstances that they're in, um, that that they that they've been given an opportunity to, you know, to love and to steward over it. Mean, but it also means loving them. Yeah. In, in their real needs and in their real hurts and in their real fears and in those things and, and I think you know just speaking really bluntly with you, I think one of the things we've struggled with sometimes in even in the adoption community um, in, uh, in in America is is thinking very transactionally we think a lot about the child and we think a lot about the wel- welfare of the child we, we sometimes don't think as deeply about the birth mom mm-hmm. um, and 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 so, uh, so there, there are they're just they're pieces and parts of her story, I think, that that open up conversation for us. Um, you know, she talks about about having about having an open adoption. Right. But but not having a very open adoption. Right. That they're like the first conversation that that, you know, meaningful conversation that she had with her with her child that she, that she placed for adoption, the, her daughter was 11 years old. Um, and, and something we experience on a daily basis is that, that, um, one, I think you have a lot of people out there that are considering domestic adoption who are scared to death of open adoption. Mm -hmm. And, and they, and they kind of look back to a 1970s, 1960s, 1950s kind of mindset and, and really want to have kind of this line of demarcation, um, between, between birth parents and, and adoptive parents. I remember one of, one of our families here that we, um, that, that adopted a little girl in an open adoption, um, in, in a very, very open adoption. Birth mom wanted to have, wanted to have a lot of relationships. Um, and and so she understood that she wasn't going to be able to co-parent, but she said like she was young, and she said like I really I want to know my child. I want the birth father to know, you know, to know our child. We want to we want to know the family she's in, and 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 the the adoptive dad talking about weighing through that decision, and and he said you know he said for days they agonized over could they you know could they take this placement with that degree of openness and he said as as he got into the word of god and as he, as he prayed and as he as he moved through he said he said i came to understand that the greatest question that i had was was i giving up was i going to get some fractional portion of my daughter's love hmm. like like was was and, and he said like literally i'm i'm sitting there and he said i realized that i'm thinking of my daughter like she's a pie and like, I'm just get, like, I'm going to get a smaller piece of the pie. And he said, he said, and I was just weeping before the Lord. And he said, I was being really confessional about that. And he said, you know what I realized and what God, God helped me to understand is that that love is not a divisor. Love is a multiplier. And that and that in this in this open adoption that I didn't have to be scared that my daughter would would have less love for me because of love that she was going to give to someone else. But what I needed to realize was that that by that by bringing more people to love into the situation and more people and, and bringing gospel purpose to what we're doing that that I'm creating a circumstance where my daughter can know that she is more loved and and where and where I'm able to be freer to, to be the recipient of her love. Mm -hmm. And man, I just, I'm incredibly thankful for, um, for, for families who are willing to, who are willing to entertain the difficulty of an open adoption for the promise of being able to minister to a birth mom and to, and to invest the gospel and to disciple a birth mom. Well, um, and and so and, and I think Adrian just you know really surfaced that issue for us about, about how in, in the body of Christ we have to begin to think differently about birth mother ministry.
1: Absolutely. And I, and I think that so many different things spoke to different
0: aspects of that, right?
1: So I think that when she's talking about being at a Christian college, university and the school nurse, I don't know if she was instructed or personally just said, I'm going to call and make an appointment for you to get an abortion because of the shame, <laughs> because of the you know, that, well, we can't have this at our school or, you know, you don't want this in your whatever it was. Why was that the recommendation? Why did she make that call? You know, it's just, it highlights to me an issue we have in the church that it's like, well, let's brush this aside rather than actually loving this young woman who's in a, in a very difficult situation, because you know what, as you said, rather than ignoring it, rather than brushing under the rug, rather than whatever, we need to really engage it as we would with any other sin that, you know, it happened. It happened, right? The The idea that what whatever happened, she's now pregnant and she's now in a situation that we, we need to love her as we would with any other person who's in front of us, right? What does that look like to love her, right? In her situation, she's struggling with. And if we don't dive into that and love her as well as we possibly can, you know, then... That's, you know, we're just as much at fault, right? We're, we, we, can't, we can't just say our hands are clean because we didn't do it. Well, no, we're, yeah. we're invited into that situation and say, okay, how can we love you? How can we encourage you? You know, without condemnation, without a, this is a bad, there's a stain, you know, the whole, you know, all these different analogies that we hear. You know, the fact of the matter is the deed was done, right? Now what? Right now
0: what? Yeah. I love the fact. I mean, the the one one of the lines that just jumped out to me that she said is that that there should be more unwed and pregnant women, unwed pregnant right. women in our churches. Yeah. Like the the fact that that something, one of the things that ought to tel- testify to to our really believing uh, a pro life message and, and believing that that you know, that, that God is the author of life is that you ought, we ought to look around mm-hmm. and, and find women that are in crisis pregnancies in the middle of the church. Um, you know, you, you raise another issue and this is going to chase a tangent. And I thought, so let me throw a grenade and then <laughs> we can both walk away from it. But I, I think, you know, you you mentioned the issue, you know, even the issue of abortion and the thing that she brought out about being counseled by by a school nurse in a Christian college to, you know, to, to get to get an abortion. I think we I think we have no idea of how many women are sitting in our congregations on on a weekly basis who have have a history of abortion in their mm-hmm. past. And I don't. And, and like, and, man, you know, and, and, and so let me let me state unequivocally for the for the folks that are out there in, you know, in the listening audience that that, that you'll find no one who's more pro-life or, or, or no one who's more anti-abortion than than I am. But, but the reality is that I think many times the rhetoric that we use around abortion and even the way that we approach the issue, what we're doing is we're driving, we're driving women who have have abortion in their past, in their history, we're driving them into more shame and we're, we're driving mm-hmm. them farther underground. Mm-hmm. And and so like if our goal is about seeing these seeing these kids born, seeing babies that are that are the result of a of an unplanned or a crisis pregnancy born and, and seeing them have an opportunity for life. And then then we've got to bring that out of the shadows and and find a way that we can that we can still condemn the seriousness of of what we believe is is an epic wrong in yeah. abortion. But then also to to be able to 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 help women to be able to move on and to really um, live out the the freedom and the and the forgiveness that they find in Christ mm-hmm. um, and 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 truly um I, I think there there no there's no better group of people in the world to catalyze that conversation in the church than than orphan care advocates and and adoptive parents mm-hmm. um, because because we are we are inextricably tied to this issue and and we above all um, should have a grasp on like the 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 value and the importance of of human life
1: yeah no and i i think that one of the things i'm excited about is over the next uh well in probably two to three weeks i don't know don't don't hold me to that but it'll be in the next few weeks um i'm gonna be doing some interviews with a woman uh kira schlesinger who wrote a book called pro-choice and christian mm-hmm. so i want to hear her story and and really to understand that position right because there's I think the other thing we underestimate is how many people hold that position in the church, right? And so to, for to, rather than to say you're a terrible person, to say no. What, you know, what, what brought you to that decision? What brought you to that? What's your understanding? And we can have a conversation about it. And then Brian Fisher, who uh, heads up Human Coalition, mm-hmm. an anti-abortion um, group and organization. Phenomenal you know, uh, interview I already did with him. And then they're going to have a conversation. We're going to have a conversation with Brian and Kira. Um, and I'm very excited for it because, um, I think we all need to understand, you know, if you're on the side that you're pro-choice and you're listening to this and you want, I want you to understand what the, what Brian and the pro-life message is and, 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 uh, what he's believing. I also want us to understand if, you know, I'm, you and I both Rick are, are pro-life and I, I, I'm very much so. And, you know, like you said, whole life, I mean, we, we don't stop at birth, right? You know, I think we're, what we're doing today, this conversation, this, this podcast, you know, we're. We're all about, you know, helping the orphan and vulnerable, and we believe that starts from conception, right? And so what does that look like? But, but, you know, we need to hear and understand and listen to rather than making assumptions of what somebody we disagree with thinks, right? We're not going to put that into the, you know, no, this is what you believe. No. I mean, I read Kira's book. Um, and it was very interesting to me, you know, I was like, Oh, I never really thought about that. And for us to be thinking about these different things is important, you know, and I can agree to disagree as I've talked with different people. Like I can read the book and and still agree to disagree, but doesn't mean I don't care about you and love you as a person. Mm -hmm. And we can go on and be friends and we can go on and move together, you know, in different ways and maybe do some work together even, but I can disagree with you on this fundamental, very fundamental thing. And, you know, and I don't need to convince you today because that's not really my job at this point um, to do that. You know, some people that is their job, but that's not my job at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not in that space in the relationship. So that And that's okay. But I think it's important for us, and this is something that I'm working on, is the, the, really the empathy for us to understand other people, for us to understand the position before we attack it, um, and you know maybe never attack it. And if you're in the right position, if it's part of the relationship that you have with that person to challenge that, then I believe we do need to do that. But that's that's a, another conversation for another day as well. But um, I think we've had that conversation on this show, is you know as far as how to engage well in in the right. In the right conversation, in the right relationship, the right point of a relationship, but you're not going to have much impact on someone if you don't know them. If you're going to come up and just say, them, you're wrong, you're a terrible person for believing whatever it is, that's not going to have a whole lot of impact on people. And, sure. and so I think that we need to start with compassion, could start with an understanding, start with trying to, trying to really understand each other. Um, and you know, that was something that, that, uh, you know, This interview really, as I said, as I said to you before recording, Rick, you know, when I was listening to it, um, I was just like, wow, this was just amazing. Like the, how deep, how rich on so many different areas. But I think the one question I asked her that her answer just really, it wasn't, didn't like catch me unsurprised like what she said, but how she said it and how raw and real it still was. When I said, what did you need in that situation when you were in Mm. college? Right? And she, it was like, it. I mean, to me, it seemed like she was there. And she just said, I needed someone to tell me that I was loved and valued Mm. and worthy and forgiven. If I had known that, I would have held myself more confidently in that situation. Yeah. She needed to hear that from her brothers and sisters to say, you know what? You're still loved. You always will be. And that's something that I think we – and even if she goes and gets an abortion, you're still loved, right? And, and we don't – we hope that doesn't happen, but that is where the shame I think that happens that we do for certain things, for certain things that are done, for certain sins that happen. We shame people more for those yeah. than others.
0: Well, and, and I'm – you know, Phil, I'm convinced the longer, the longer we – the longer I'm in this world, the longer I do what I do. That, um, that, you know, most, most women are not choosing abortion, um, out of convenience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're, They're choosing abortion out of, out of fear. Um, they're, they're choosing it out of, out of as, as a, as an option of last resort um, and, and, and it may be an option of last resort because of shame. It may not be an option of last resort because of, you know, because of resources. Um, but but I, but I think when when she in that very raw, real moment, when she said that about what she needed, um, you know, like how how many more women are there out there that that's all they need to choose life? And and whether whether then the next decision, and I think one of the things we've we've really tried to speak in even into the into the crisis pregnancy movement and, and some of the ways that you know the Christian community is is addressing this issue, to to realize that um, that the there are really two decisions that happen here, not one. So the first decision is a, a decision to choose life or, or to, to choose abortion. Does a, does a woman believe that she has options, um, and and to see those options for what they are? Then the question is of the options of the life giving options that exist. Which one is the right one? But those are not all the same decision, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and I think you know in it, it, it engaging as um, in the Christian community, if we spent as much effort. Um, Helping women to 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 know the life giving options and to understand the support that we're willing to give them and, and to make available to them, as as we do um, in in lobbying for uh, abortion to be struck down or to be made illegal. And again, don't get me wrong. I don't think those are those are bad efforts. Right. I think they're right. I think they're laudable efforts. Mm-hmm. But if we spent as much effort in helping women to to see the 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 support and the opportunity and the love that that is that exists for them within the body of Christ, um, I, I think we would have a, a lot fewer women um, choose abortion. We're mm-hmm. seeing in our culture i you know being this year at the march for life and and spending time you know in that environment i mean i think something we can celebrate this year is that we're that we're seeing abortion numbers drop in america and i think the reason that we're seeing those numbers drop in in many instances is um, is is we're, we're we're doing a better job in the church of 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 helping women to you know to see their options and then um, and then i think it's a question of um, adoption, parenting, all of the, all of the available life, you know, life giving options of, of us being willing and ready to, you know, step in and, and provide that kind of support. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things that she said, and I'd, I'd be interested to, you know, just to tease this out with you a little bit, but man, I was so gripped when, when Adrian talked about the conversation that she had with her birth daughter, mm-hmm. um, and, and realizing that, um, that, that the decision to choose life uh, that she made has, has implications and, and, and there like, there is going to be, there's going to be joy, but there's also going to be difficulty and there's going to be awkwardness Mm -hmm. in the midst of all of that. And, and really just her, um, I was so appreciative of, of the fact that, um, that, that she engaged her her daughter with with a sense of love and acceptance and and that that unconditional nature of love um in 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 and she had an opportunity to be able to give to her birth daughter what she didn't receive from people um in in the beginning of that journey What she didn't get from that nurse in in affirmation and unconditional love Mm -hmm. and those things, she was able to extend to to her birth daughter and pass the blessing of that to her her daughter's adoptive parents as well. Mm -hmm. And and just I thought just, you know, such an incredible testimony of, um, you know, of the the love of of God and the hope of the gospel um, translated into action in the life of her daughter. And, and I, I just, you know, I think, I think there's such a great example there, um, that, you know, that, that we, um, we, we need to champion stories like this. Um, Absolutely. I know one of, one of the other things Adrian's done that, um, that I've seen, you know, some things that she's written and some things that she's had out there in addition is just really kind of championing the idea of, of the protection of, um, faith-based adoption agencies and faith-based adoption ministries. And so, you know, she's been a vocal advocate about the Child Welfare Protection Inclusion Act and, you know, the things that are before Congress right now. And Mm -hmm. if if there are folks that are out there listening to the podcast and you're not familiar with that, um, if you are around adoption and orphan care, that's something important to know about. Um, Because it it basically is just – it's a very simple law that's before Congress right now that would would, would provide federal protection for – faith-based child placing agencies, and would would ensure that we have the protection that we're able to operate according to our closely held uh, religious values. Um, those things are um, those 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 things that we do that are not paid for by the government, that we're not, you know we're not working as an agent of of the state or federal government. Right. we would be allowed to um to to not have to violate the convictions and and those things that we um, you know, that we draw from the scriptures and those things that we hold closely. Um, and and I know that that her advocacy of that is because um, because she was ministered to that way, right. And because of the, you know the 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 great work that the agency that um, that that helped her place her daughter. Um, was, you know, that they that they functioned according to to biblical values and according to a Christian worldview and the way that she was ministered to by, you know, the people that that were a part of. Um, of her adoption plan. And, and so I would speak on her behalf for a minute and just say that if you're out there and you don't know about the Child Welfare Provider Inclusion Act, um, find out about it, go Google it, um, check it out, and then um, contact your senators and your congressmen um, and let them know that that's something that, that you support and, and something that you would value and that would, um, you know, would, would ultimately help to represent your thoughts and your values in, in, in the way that we're governed. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I think that Adrian's, um She doesn't stop at, at just her family. Let's put it that way. The fact that she wrote this... She's writing the book. And I'll tell you what, the chapter I read as I talked about in the interview, it just blew me away. The little excerpt I read, even reading it, I was like, dang, this is so good. Um, but not only... Reconnecting with her birth daughter but just the the vulnerability and the transparency she has she she has about the difficulty of connecting with her adopted child and how she felt like a failure for years because she was she felt she was not living up to the birth mother expectations or anyone else's expectations and I think that I've talked with several people even t- about this um about this issue about abortion and just about us covering it on the show. And people were like, wow, really? Do you want to do that? And I said, we need, we have to, it's, you know, it's most vulnerable children or some of the most vulnerable children in the womb, right? That's, that's where they are. And, and we need to talk about this because it's one of the biggest issues we're facing in our, in our world today. And, and beyond that, some other people were saying, wow, is it, you know, but you as a man shouldn't, you know, why are you even covering? It's not a man's issue. Right. And I'm like, you know, you're, you're you're laughing, Rick. And I, and I think that it's not just on the fact that the men are also fathers to the children. I mean, yeah, that's one of the issues and that's a big part of it, but also hearing Adrian speak, she didn't say it, but I know in, in both talking with her and also talking with other women about this, they need to hear a lot of these things from men from pastors, from brothers from the the birth fathers from other people to say you know what you're valued, you're loved you're worthy, you're forgiven right, and not that men are better or men. it's not a sexist comment, I hope you're not hearing it as a way out there but it's really something that we need, they need women as well but if this isn't a women's issue this isn't a men's issue, this isn't a whatever issue, this is uh, this is a life issue. This is a human issue that we need to address together if we're really going to come up with, you know, if we're really going to be able to have full, real conversations. Um, that's just something that I firmly believe. And, uh, you know, we, we need to bring this to to a close. And I, I don't want to just end on that, Rick, but I know that you also have a recommendation. And it's going to be a little different recommendation today. I really want to start more than more than just saying books and movies and podcasts and whatever else, I want to really start recommending other organizations that we can go to that will be able to help us in the different issues that we're talking about on these shows. So Rick, you know, why don't you address that a little bit? I know that you have something to say about that it being a, being a human issue, but also um, just make those recommendations and then, then we'll bring it to a, to a close.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Phil. I, I think the the recommendation I'd want to make today is to is for a ministry uh, that are that are great friends of ours called Embrace Grace. You can find them at EmbraceGrace.com. dot um, and and the ministry and mission of Embrace Grace is to is to mobilize local churches to minister to uh, women in crisis pregnancies. Um, And and so they they do an excellent job of being able to connect with women, help the church understand and learn how to connect with women that are experiencing crisis pregnancies. And then they do Bible study groups and supportive communities um, to come around these women and to to help them um, to both see and to live out life giving options. And it's it is one of the one of the best um, mobilizations of the local church that I've seen in a long time. Um, really, you know, the the way that they that they love and care for women. And and the truth is, if you and your church have um, a desire to to do this kind of ministry, uh, Embrace Grace will train you to do everything that you need to do and provide all the resources for you to to give you a roadmap for for how to connect with women in crisis pregnancy and then give you the tools to know how to minister to them effectively um, to support them through the journey of choosing life and and so they're uh, they're great friends. We, we love them and are really thankful for their ministry. But if you go to EmbraceGrace.com, you can find all their information.
1: Hmm. So, folks, you know, that was a little longer. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for sticking with us on this because this is such an important issue. And I, and I, I did not want to shortcut um, just – Adrian's message, and you know, and so I, I really want to encourage you out there to engage these issues. If you have any comments, any questions, anything that you want to disagree with us on, if you want to, you know, be mad at us about something, whatever it is, I strongly encourage you, you know, send us a note. If we miss something, which I'm sure we did, you know, let us know so that we can, we can, not, you know, be thinking about it at the very least, and then maybe be covering it on the on the show. Or otherwise, if you know other people to speak to issues like this, please let us know that too. Um, but as I as I hope and pray um, with every show, I pray that you take this and, you know, you use it. You think about it. You challenge yourself to think mm. deeper and harder about how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great
0: week.